podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. If you haven't played Paddy Power Fantasy yet, you're missing out. But on the upside, if you haven't played it yet, you qualify for a risk-free first go. Get up to £20 back as cash when you play Paddy Power Fantasy. And because every NFL game day is a season in itself, you don't have to wait to find out if you've won. Paddy Power Fantasy. Hate waiting, love winning. New customer offer. Min £5, max £20 refund. T's and C's apply. Paddy Power Fantasy rules apply. 18 plus, begumbleware.org. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show, presented by Paddy Power Fantasy. Wildcard weekend in the bag. Nicky Badini joining me very, very shortly to break it all down. It had everything, didn't it? Two of the games, greats going out in upsets. The craziness of Josh Allen and the Bills-Texans game. What a brilliant game that was. We are going to get into all the key stories that have emerged from Wildcard Weekend. So breaking news as well that we'll uh, release very, very shortly around the Dallas Cowboys and a lot more to boot. At the end, T-Shirt, we're going to touch with us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Get your questions in, follow us. All kinds of stuff going out all week long. And remember, there are four episodes dropping each and every week throughout the season, all the way to the Super Bowl. We're going to be out in Miami dropping daily episodes when we're out there. Uh, so stay with us for all your NFL needs. Let's get straight down to business. Nikki Bandini. Happy New Year, Nikki. How are you? I'm good, Matt. How are you? I am fine and dandy. And I tell you what, I've just about got my breath back from the weekend. Just about got my breath back from, from Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. Let alone everything else that happened. We'll, we'll get into all the big stories, of course. And the fact that neither Tom Brady or Drew Brees are in the playoffs anymore. And they might not be with uh, the teams that, of course, made them legends in the game. We'll talk more about that and the repercussions of the Saints and the Patriots defeats. But I want to leave with some breaking news as we're recording this that the Dallas Cowboys are set to hire Mike McCarthy, Ian Rappaport, NFL insider uh, for the NFL Network, has reported that uh, McCarthy has told one of his colleagues, uh, Tom Pellicero from NFL Network, that he's just signed with the Cowboys, a done deal. He is their new head coach. And this, of course, is just 24 hours after the worst kept secret in football that Jason Garrett was going to be out of the door was was officially announced. That This, I think, sort of painful situation where, because Garrett was out of contract, they didn't want to fire him, but it just went on and on and on, and they were interviewing his replacement so in the end they put him out of his misery so he was officially fired about a week before his contract finished and Mike McCarthy the former Green Bay Packers head coach is going to be the new Dallas Cowboys head coach what do you make of that anything anything by Jerry Jones to keep the Cowboys in the headlines right it's the you know the the day after the the, the, um wildcard round finished the Garrett um firing officially announced was was it like during the Eagles? Um, <laughs> you think it was. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, anything to keep the Cowboys at the top of the news cycle. I'm surprised that he didn't hold off and, and try to usurp the Super Bowl or something. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's a, um, an interesting appointment. I think we've all been sort of curious after this sort of extended Jason Garrett period. Does Jerry Jones want, um, maybe it's uncharitable to call Garrett a yes man, but definitely someone who is very pliable and someone who is very sort of willing to, um, toe the line and, and be Jerry's guy? Or did he want someone with a higher profile, someone with a stronger voice? And I, you know, my feeling, and this is literally breaking news that we've just got as we were about to record, but my feeling instinctively on that is that McCarthy sits somewhere between those two boxes, but more towards someone who, um, who you expect to have their own opinions and, and want to speak up for themselves. Yeah. I wonder if there is a, a compromise at play here. Jerry Jones deviating from his typical MO of controlling everything personnel wise. Mm. Certainly that's been the case for the majority of his, of, of his tenure. And whether he realized if I'm going to get the kind of head coach that I want, because Jason Garrett's been there a long time, right? Yeah. So, so maybe he's, he's realized that he's had, he'll have to compromise to a degree. And if he's putting in someone like McCarthy, he's going to want to have a say in, in personnel, then at least it will be more of a, a selection by committee in that respect, as opposed to, to Jerry Jones calling the shots. Well, that is, uh, that is breaking anyway. So not officially announced yet by the Cowboys, but Ian Rappaport rarely wrong with these sort of things. So assume that that is a, a done deal. All right. On to, I mean, as we suggested at the top, so many different things to, to get into for wildcard weekend. I think we've got to start with Breeze and Brady because they are, as, as I said, two legends of the game, of course, and two players that maybe have played their final games for their respective franchises. Starting with 
because they're both out of contract, right? So starting mm. with with Breeze, and, and I think that's fair to call out the bigger upset of the two, the Vikings beating the Saints compared to uh, the Titans beating the Patriots, which was an upset as well. But a number of people thought the Titans might do that. They might get the win uh, in Fox. Yeah. But nobody picked the Vikings to win at the Superdome, did they? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's the bigger upset, certainly, if you're going to go on, on the betting lines. Um, was the only um, betting line of over a touchdown, I think, this weekend was the Saints to win. It's the bigger yeah. upset if you go on something sensible and rational, like how they've played this season. There was, of course, I think, <laughs> some part that still found the Patriots losing more shocking, just because you always expect the Patriots to to, to find something. And um, weirdly, perhaps, we're getting to the point um, with the Saints where we almost expect the opposite it's mm. how can sean payton and uh the, the saints find a way not to win in the playoffs and god i think um there can't be a much crueler way for a fan base i mean you know to i'm sure everyone knows this but in case anyone is, is unaware we're talking about two years ago the sort of the wildest loss to the the vikings on the sort of crazy play and missed tackle at the end um last season the uh loss to the, the rams with the missed pass interference call a whole rule gets introduced to the game to prevent a team getting beaten like the Saints were last year, to, to, to specifically give referees the opportunity to review pass interference so that, the, so that nobody gets done over like the Saints got done over. <laughs> and of course, the game ends on them conceding uh, a touchdown that absolutely, in my opinion, was offensive pass interference, mm. did get reviewed um, because uh, it was done upstairs and it was automatic. Um, but because of the way that rule has been uh, assessed for most of the year, because of the way it's been implemented, it was deemed not a clear enough um, decision to overturn. And so even with their new rule in place, the Saints still couldn't catch a break. And I think that it must be very much um, for Drew Brees, um, who, again, unlike Tom Brady, actually played pretty well this season. The numbers were good. Um, it must be a real sort of knife to the heart to feel like, God, we did everything so right. And, and yet again in the playoffs with the years creeping up and up and this getting harder and harder to get back to, we've just completely failed to live up to what we should have been. I, so, so well described. I mean, the back to back to back, egregious ways of going out at, at the playoffs and the Saints faithful, perhaps understandably showing their displeasure. Not so much at the, at the, at the team, I think, although they were, uh, they were booing at some stages of proceedings yesterday, you know, invoking a Philly audience, but they were frustrated, I think, at, at some of the play calling, frustrated, I think, full stop, and just how well this Vikings defense handled them and kept so many of their, their key playmakers quiet. I mean, no ground game going at all. Brees was, was completely off uh, kilter. Jared Cook stepped up occasionally, but I, we were talking about on the radio broadcast, where the hell's Jared Cook? And then he steps mm. up for a catch, but I mean, he didn't really do much much else. Thomas made some clutch plays, but couldn't really get motoring in the way that uh, you'd expect him to. So, so props to the Vikings defense and, and to Mike Zimmer for, uh, for, for a, a sterling performance in that respect. But nevertheless, Sean Payton gave him a helping hand, right? And, and the Saints will stop giving the helping hand. He had Will Lutz missing the field goal before the half, which turned out to be crucial. And at the end, Payton getting a lot of criticism. Uh, in terms of the, the clock management, did you think, or do you think that's justified, Nikki, that Peyton at the end should have played things differently, should have used his timeouts more wisely, and that might have made a difference? Um, yes, I think there's definitely some merit in the criticism. Um, I think that, um, I don't know, uh, it's perhaps a theme this weekend for me, a few coaches who you sort of think are experienced and um um, the ones who you sort of look to in these moments to, to get those sorts of decisions right. The ones who you think, okay, well, been there, won it all before and, and have proved willing to, to make the big decisions in the right moments and, and Peyton being one and Belichick being another mm. didn't, didn't seem to do it this, uh, this weekend. I think the, the game management was certainly a thing. I was about to say maybe they could have been braver, the Saints, but in fairness, in terms of the play calling through the game, um, there was some bravery here. I mean, we saw a lot of Taysom Hill. Yeah. I mean, this is the crazy thing with Drew Brees, um, who inevitably his sort of um, stature in the game and, and the career he's had, we're going to be focusing on him a lot. But the, the weird thing about this game is I believe that the longest, um, was it the longest pass run and catch for the Saints all came from, from a third string quarterback. Yeah. Um, and it's not to suggest that Taysom Hill is about to be the next um guy behind centre in, in New Orleans because I don't imagine that's going to be how this plays out. I also don't 
personally think this is the last we're going to see of Drew Brees. I think we're going to see um, more yet. I don't think it's how he'll want to go out, but it mm. is. Um, I don't know. It's it's striking that something, and and maybe this goes to Peyton as well as Brees. Something about the offense in particular just felt tired. Um, even with this sort of one rogue element doing interesting things, changing things up, creating opportunities, the rest of the offense just felt um, predictable, um, unable to, to I don't know, to, to break the game in the way they needed to. And I don't think that Minnesota did much better. I mean, it was obviously a close game, but they had two elements that they could consistently lean on, um, which was, Dalvin Cook and Adam Thielen, those two elements stood out in a way that no one other than perhaps Taysom Hill did for New Orleans. Establishing the the ground game is obviously fundamental for for a couple of reasons, right? For both of these offenses, the productivity that that engenders, but also establishing the play action, which the Vikings absolutely needed to get done. Um, And the Saints just couldn't do that. So, And they they seemed to move away from the run pretty quickly as well. They just couldn't uh, couldn't get much from it early on and, and, and seemed to... To, to move away from it. Looking statistically at some of the key takeaways from the game. So the Saints going into this one had only allowed four sacks in a turnover in its last five games. And of course, the Vikings broke through the line, three sacks uh, on Breeze, two takeaways as well. Everson Griffin was, and Daniel Hunter were immense, both of them. And it was, it, it is fair to, to point out, it was a dominant performance from the Vikings in that respect that sometimes you look at a performance offensively like this from the Saints and you think well what went wrong what went wrong well they weren't allowed to get in their groove at all because it was such a strong defensive performance as opposed to yeah it was a so-so performance but the offense was just that bad yeah and and you know I, I don't know maybe I'm harping too much on this um and we're sort of jumping ahead again because I'm talking about a quote from another older quarterback who played this weekend, Josh McCown, who was, you know, of those older guys, the one who wasn't expected to do anything and, right. and, um, and, and didn't in the end. But he, he used a phrase that I really, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if I related to it. I'm not a 40 yet myself getting there. Um, <laughs> but he, he said, um, when you're, you know, when you're 40, when you're in a game, your body is telling you things. Um, yeah. and I, I liked that, that phrasing. Um, I thought it was an interesting phrasing and I thought watching Drew Brees and Tom Brady this weekend back were there moments in the game where their bodies were telling them something. And yes, you're right. The, the Vikings, you know, they told Drew Brees' body something as well, right? <laughs> they brought that pass rush. They yeah. made sure he got hit. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It's, <sighs> There was a lack of decisiveness from the offense. I think mm. that's what I'm sort of struggling to um, to, to to quite um, express. Like, but it just felt like there was a missing sharpness. And yeah. to me personally, there have been times this season where I felt that from New Orleans. Anyway, there have been times when, and this is the weird thing. Of course, they played some very good football when Drew Brees was out. Yeah. Um, for all the numbers, for all the numbers still look good for Brees. For all that he is still by any sort of reasonable metrics, performing to a high level. They don't, I don't know, they just don't scare you in the way that a Drew Brees offense would have done um, back when he was in his prime. And, and I don't know if there's something in um, just that little bit of, I don't know, that little bit of swagger, that little bit of um, willingness to push through um, the painful bits that... Um, compensate in a younger quarterback for the lack of experience and the lack of ability to analyze a field like, like Drew Brees could. Well, let's work out what happens next, because as I said at the top, Brees and Brady in a similar situation that they're out of contract and both of them have uh, had a clause put into their most recent contracts, which say that their respective franchises can't franchise tag them. So Hmm. that is not an option for either the Saints with Brees or, or the Patriots with Brady. Move on to the Patriots and, and their loss to the Titans and what happens next with Brady, because that seems to be, uh, based on the speculation anyway, um, attention on the situation, probably more likely that, as, as in Brady leaving New Orleans, uh, New England will be more likely than Breeze leaving New Orleans. One of three things is going to happen, Nicky, right? He's either going to be a patron next season or he's not because he's playing for somebody else or he's retired. He was asked about the latter right after the defeat to the Titans and said, no, no, I'm not planning on retiring or, or worse to that effect. But of course, this is the heightened emotion right after a game. So you can't always take what players say at face value there. 
The Patriots as well, as, as Greg Rosenthal, our friend, pointed out in the aftermath of the, of the defeat and everyone's saying, well, is that his last game ever as a Patriot? The Patriots are in a slightly difficult situation when it comes to negotiating a deal because of the dead cap space that uh, mm. they will have to wear if Brady either retires or, or, or Brady walks away full stop. Around $30, $40 million, right? So mm-hmm. if they sit down, they can't lowball Brady with an offer if that was what they were thinking. And so interesting times ahead there, compounded, I suppose, by the fact that Josh McDaniels could be on his way as well. And that might mean that if he ends up in a place where he's not wholly convinced about the quarterback, he might come calling for his old friend. It might mean that that represents a, a significant change if both of them go, of course it will, in terms of the, the Patriots and uh, this dynasty. But I'm not sure it necessarily means it's the end of the road for the Patriots as a successful franchise, which a lot of people are suggesting that the, they were a 12 and four side with one of the best defenses in football if they get a few things, retain that defense and get a few things right offensively, add a few more pieces, irrespective of whether Brady's the quarterback or not next season, Nicky, they're going to be contenders again. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Patriots were 8-0 this season. That's the thing. <laughs> right. The Patriots were 8-0 and, and of course that's a, that's a stick you can beat them with, right? Because 8-0 teams are not supposed to and very rarely do go out in the first round of the wild card. Yeah. Most of them don't have to play a wild card game. Um, so, so you can, you can use that as a criticism, but you can also use it to remind yourself that this team, um, despite being clearly, blatantly, massively lacking options at, at wide receiver, um, still is pretty good. Um, and I think that if Tom Brady goes back there next season, I would have, even with the Bills taking steps forward, I would have no trouble seeing the Patriots, um, imagining the Patriots as the AFC East winners again. Yeah, because exactly. Because, you know, there's so much still in place. For me, honestly, um, I think that the, you know, the, the key ingredient in that, in that, um, that Patriots makes at this point, um, and this is not to, to do down the incredible things that Tom Brady has done, but it's, it's still Bill Belichick, not, not Tom Brady. Sure. And I would believe in Bill Belichick as a coach to do things with a different quarterback. I would believe in yeah. him to do things with a different offensive coordinator as well, because he's already done that, right? You know, he hasn't, um, yeah. he has had a turnover at staff pretty much everywhere except a quarterback. And I, I don't personally have a hard time believing he could succeed with a different quarterback. Um, what I was just looking- thinking to myself as he was speaking, wouldn't yeah. it be glorious in terms of a just sort of, um, fantasy theorizing about um, NFL scenarios. If Drew Brees and Tom Brady just swap, swap roles places. next season, we could have <laughs> Belichick and Brees and and Brady and Peyton. That'd be fun for a year. But um, <laughs> well, you know, yeah. I, I, sorry, a was... succession plan. I mean, this is it might be there, and we just don't know it yet. Jarrett Stidham. I mean, nobody's talking about him, right? It might be that they because if the Patriots are contenders, right, they are going to want to go one or two ways, either a, a safe hand while they breed a younger quarterback, a bloody young quarterback underneath that safe hand, in which case it makes more sense for them to hang on to Brady as opposed to uh, bringing in, say, a Rivers or a Foles or a Dalton that, you know, will do a job. And uh, given how strong this team is defensively next season, that is, keep them in the in the playoff mix, it makes more sense if they're going to go that route as opposed to handing over the keys to the castle straight away to a, to a young quarterback to, to stay with Brady. But maybe they're thinking, well, actually, well, they could draft somebody, of course, as well and, and put them in. Maybe they'll have one on two. Or, uh, but realistically, they're going to look at, I think, at what they've got. Haven't they drafted Stidham and it might be, it might just be that he's the guy that they're thinking, well, you know, we want to, move forward with him it is yeah. crazy to think like, that he would start next season though isn't it yeah i mean it cuts to more questions that we don't know the answer to right um there's a question here of what what does bill belichick want at this point in his career i think that um personally i still put a lot of credence in the reporting done by seth wickersham um when yeah when uh, is it one year ago or two years ago now Wickersham couple of years isn't it yeah the yeah, garoppolo yeah, craft yeah. situation, yeah. So, and I, you know, Seth is a very good reporter. That, that even if it didn't come to play out the way that people suggested it might at the time, doesn't mean there was no basis to the reporting. The reporting right. was good. Um, and I think it, I find it very credible that Belichick was ready at that point to start over in a certain sense, and certainly in a quarterbacking sense, to say, right, now we build... Um, we build again with a new guy. And of course, they went on to win a Super Bowl after that. So um, it worked out the way it was. But 
is Belichick now a couple more years down the line? Is he in a mindset where he thinks to himself, I can see myself here in another, I don't know, I don't know how long you would think you need to develop a young quarterback, but to get the most of it, you'd certainly have to be thinking, what, at least three seasons and maybe more? Mm. Or is he someone who's thinking to himself, um, my career is winding down as well and, and I'm thinking about how long I want to be here and I suppose in the latter scenario, he might have more of a an appetite for, oh, hey, this is a great quarterback who I've seen working at other teams and I think that you could step in and do something for us. So there's a, there's a big question there for me about his his own perception of of what he wants from his career. And is he driven at this point by his legacy? Because of course, there's a part of me that is tempted to view him in that way because of how he is, because he is someone who um, is very sort of in the same way as Brady is very sort of fixated on success and his achievements. And I can quite imagine Belichick wanting to, to develop one more great and go out having said, yeah, you know, Brady might have been the greatest quarterback, but actually it was me. It was me all along that had this, uh, (laughs) this franchise going. Uh, in this direction so yeah i i do think it's a big it's a big and fascinating question i for all the reasons that came up in that wickstrom report don't have a hard time believing that belichick is ready to move on from brady not because he dislikes brady not because there is any sort of lack of um respect and admiration there because belichick's a pragmatist and he will do what he thinks he needs to do to win just as he has at every other spot on the roster yeah um so it's definitely a fascinating picture. I think you've raised a scenario that I find plausible, as you say. Why not go with the guy that you drafted? And um, the fact that, by all accounts, Belichick did have this great faith in Brissett and Garoppolo shows, I think, speaks to the fact that he is someone who trusts system people who've come in and been around the team for a bit and and got to learn the old-fashioned way, because I think system is so important to what he does. But if you're asking me to to know what's inside his head, it's 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 impossible. It's all speculation at this point. It is, and people fueling the flames that Brady will move on more than retire. Reporting in his uh, Football Morning in America column, Peter King uh, had spoken to Brady. He pretty much echoed what he'd said in the presser after the game against the Titans, but expanded upon that a bit. Uh, I'll explore opportunities wherever they are. If it's the Patriots, great. If that doesn't work. Uh, I love playing football. I still want to play football. I think I can play at championship level, blah, 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 blah. So it looks like this idea that Brady's going to retire should be shelved. So it's really whether the Patriots offer a, a multi-year deal. And Brady is going to, if he's going to, he doesn't need the money. If he's going to be carrying on, he's going to want to play for a contender. So if he does move on from the New England, you've got to be looking at teams that can contend straight away. And that limits uh, the landing spots. Teams that contend straight away that, need a quarterback or could upgrade the quarterback position you know you could look at maybe four or five i, I could think of um that would fit that bill just the it's line, the saints now it's the saints it's i'm the telling saints. you we've stumbled on it here i've, I've found the Genius. answer Genius. <laughs> um just a quick line on the titans and yes. yeah well we, they probably, they probably have more of a quick line don't they we've all talked about the teams that didn't win so far <laughs> the, the lot was made of speaking of belichick and, and brable of course mike brable his um, former lieutenant, who was criticised quite heavily, I think, early on in his coaching career, Nicky, but has won a lot of people over this season and, and was really, really shrewd in playing Belichick at his own game, of course, with his rather devious, or certainly uh, canny clock management and running time off the clock and taking penalties and swallowing up time, which was making Belichick incandescent with rage. But of course, the shoe's very much on the other foot there because Belichick's pulled that trick himself. So smart stuff from, from Vrabel. And uh, we, going into the game, we, we figured it was going to come down quite significantly to whether the Patriots could stop Derek Henry. And the answer was categorically no. <laughs> Derek Henry. I mean, he's been a, a, the second half of the season in particular, an absolute revelation. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, um, I mean, a few things going on there. I mean, on, on Vrabel, I love the idea that Vrabel didn't even know about that loophole. I don't know if it's true, but I love the idea that he wouldn't have until watching Belichick use it, as you say, <laughs> sure. earlier in the season. Yeah. Not just because Belichick used it earlier in the season, so it's being made to be his own recipe, but Belichick used it in a game against the Jets. They won by 33 points. That's right. Yeah, there was supposed <laughs> to be nothing up, I think, when he was using yeah. it. Yeah. So, so the futility of, of having given that, that sort of idea away to your opponent and then having it come back to bite you. And all the more so for the fact that it is a Belichick disciple doing it to you, um, is, is, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry to the Patriots fans out there, but that is delicious. Um, <laughs> the, um, in terms of the, 
Derek Henry. I mean, Derek Henry is, he's, he's been incredible, not just this week, but the last few weeks. Um, and, uh, I think what intrigues me from, uh, the game planning side of it, um, you look at how bad the Titans were in, in the air and the sort of the reputation that goes with Belichick everywhere is what he does to every team is he takes away the thing they do best. Mm. And I can only conclude that what Belichick thought the Titans were most dangerous with, with some justification, was not Henry running the ball, but the play action that gets built off it. Because they got mm. nothing out of the play action in this game, um, Tennessee, and and that has been such a major part of um, uh, of their success certainly in the, in, in the latter part of the season. Um, and it was just like maybe a, a belief that, okay, as long as you stop them from getting those chunk plays on the play action, actually a running back in, in 2020 can't, can't carry a game like that. But, mm. but he did. Um, he was, yeah, he was, he was brilliant. He was unstoppable. Um, and, and I think a, a little shout out there as well to, to, to even to Tannehill who didn't have numbers wise a great game at all. But if you go to the, sort of key moments in this game. Tannehill pulls out a third and 10 uh, touchdown pass. Uh, he keeps them going in the fourth quarter on a third and eight with a big pass. Um, I believe it was literally the drive before when Tom Brady couldn't pick up a third and six through the air. So they they got the big plays in this one. It was still a close game, but um, yeah, it was uh, it was striking to see that contrast, I thought. Now onto the Seahawks-Eagles. You mentioned, of course, with Josh McCown in, uh, nobody really expected to see him. And of course, Carson Wentz's injury completely changed the trajectory of the game, despite the performance from McCown, which was gutsy and, uh, and, and then some. And it was written in the stars, it seemed at some stage, that he was going to pull off the improbable. Just so representative of the bad luck the Eagles have had. Well, was it bad luck, Nikki? Looking at that clowny hit, the hit on Carson Wentz that, that took him out of the game because of... Uh, uh, the head injury concussion protocol. Was it uh, a low blow and a dirty hit, do you think, by Clowney? It's impossible to know what's going through someone's head, so I can't speak to his motivation. Um, I think that I found it very surprising that that wasn't punished. Um, yeah. I, I, I think that going off all of the officiating that we see through the season, going off what the NFL has put out in its public messaging for several years now, the way he... Um, the way he came into that hit quarterback already going to the ground doesn't need to be hit at all. Um, to lead with a head like that is it's not, it's just not allowable in the modern game, whether or not it was intended, it's not allowable. Um, and you know, from there you can extrapolate either it's clumsy by clowny and it's a mistake and it's very unfortunate for the Eagles or it's deliberate in which case it's, it's really dark and it takes mm. out, um, one of the most important players on either team in a playoff game. And that's, and that's no good. So yeah, it's, it's, it's really, a shame that that's how it went down. Mm. It did create this fascinating story with Josh McCown, who, you know, it was hard not to have your heart break for him, wasn't it? I mean, he played so um, doggedly, so determinedly. Um, I think within his limitations throughout, I think mm. we never saw and never believed, or at least I didn't, that he was about to uncork that, you know, 80 yard deep ball. But yeah. um, it was actually really interesting. I was. I was getting, I was in a text exchange with another friend of mine who was watching this game and he was saying at a certain point that he was actually, um, it was McCown taking a sack in the fourth quarter and he was sort of praising McCown for what a mature player was, um, and saying the younger quarterback throws it there and, and gets himself in trouble. And, yeah. and absolutely, I think it was that sort of performance from McCown all the way through. It was the know when to take the hit, know when to throw the ball away, know when to not be stupid. And I think that unfortunately, the Eagles weren't good enough to win that way. They needed someone at some point mm. um, to, to to take a bigger risk than um, than they took. I think, as you know, maybe repeating my lines from the Saints game, but I think I felt it even more keenly here. It was like, okay, you've kept your team in it so well here, Josh. You've done everything so right in terms of avoiding a big costly turnover and, and, and getting yourself in, in trouble, but. You know, the Seahawks did have DK Metcalf going deep and making those big grabs. They did have a few plays that, that really stretched the field and, and ultimately led to points. And the Eagles weren't ever able to make that happen. Yeah, Metcalf was immense, wasn't he? 160 yards at a 53-yarder for a, for a score and offset and covered the back of the lack of ground game, which we, we thought would, would happen because of not just the obvious injuries to 
their, their top three running backs in the depth chart, but also the offensive line. The Seahawks banged up there as well. So the, the double whammy of that, but it, a real concern. Russell Wilson is their leading rusher. Uh, and the Eagles held Lynchin and Travis Homer, uh, the young running back, is getting quite a lot of the carries as well because of those injuries. 19 yards on 17 carries, although Beast Mode still uh, managing to get the headlines with an incredible stiff arm and score. Uh, and uh, is doing what we thought he would do, which is contributing something and uh, definitely galvanizing this locker room and, and hyping up. Uh, the Seahawks, who who won ugly uh, but got the job done. How big a concern is that going to be, though, for them now progressing through the, the ground game both weeks that they've had Lynch and Homer carrying the load just hasn't looked anywhere close to uh, what they have been producing for the majority of the season. And, of course, it, it wouldn't. But this is a team, Nikki, that is predicated so much, success is predicated so much on a strong ground game, more so than virtually any other team in the NFL. Yep, absolutely. And I think it is a problem. It's offset slightly by the fact that Russell Wilson picks up yards on, on the ground as well. Um, I think he is, you know, he's definitely the team's leading rusher in this game, wasn't he? Um, so, uh, yes, I think it's a problem. It's a problem because, because you like to play the play action, um, same as, uh, same as Tennessee. That's, that's how a lot of the best offense happens. It's how you set up those deep balls to Metcalf, which, which Wilson throws so well. Um, it's um, it's definitely something they need to be better at. The Eagles got a pretty good run defense, so um, in that sense, they were you know they might have easier matchups. But I think it's it's really tricky. I mean, I I'm a I'm a huge um, I'm a huge believer in Russell Wilson. Same person I was texting I mentioned a second ago was putting the case forward that Russell Wilson right now is your your Space Jam quarterback, the one you want to huh. take in a in a one off game, and and it, he might be um, because because it's not Brady anymore, because it's probably not Drew Brees anymore, because I guess it might be Aaron Rodgers, but do you trust Aaron Rodgers? quite as much as you do Russell Wilson. I don't know. I think Russell Wilson makes good decisions a lot. Um, and, you know, the younger guys like Lamar and and uh, and Mahomes, undoubtedly all the upside in the world. But again, if it's one game and you just want someone who you feel confident in, it might yeah. be Wilson. I think it's, so. I, I really think that, I really think so. It's a pretty compelling argument you're putting forward because particularly in the one game scenario is very much clutch time. Yeah. Winner takes all. The young quarterbacks, whilst it's tempting, too much of a liability because of that lack of experience. Everything we just said in the first half an hour of the show with about Brady and Brees. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think he's right in, and Rogers leading maybe more towards that as well. I think he's right in the hot spot. Wilson is that. Is which which then makes you think, you know, they should be. If that's true, then this should be their year, right? Or at least they should be one of the teams you're really putting right at the front and. And as long as that running game isn't there, yeah. it makes you more dubious. Yeah, that's it. it, it I mean, it, look, injuries are a fundamental part of trajectory and all it takes. I remember Germany, the Raiders team a few years ago when they were looking really, really strong and then Carr went down and that was, mm-hmm. you know, dramatic changes like that. But then you get, it'll be interesting to see actually looking up at the final, uh, the divisional teams who is the least affected by injury i'm just i mean just looking at it without deep diving just trying to work out who that might be like now in terms of the fitness of the roster at the moment i wonder who yeah. who is um not sure. i mean the eagles certainly have had it rough for injuries so that's um worth saying in all of this it's not like Wentz is the first injury problems they've had this season my god more than any other team i think i mean yeah. they, they, both of those two teams actually have probably suffered the most if we think about who suffered the least those two as far as the playoff teams for sure and i reckon yeah, I reckon the Eagles maybe uh, out of it, all the teams in uh, the playoffs, the, the one that suffered the most. Uh, something else has just broken, actually, before we talk about the Bills. On NFL.com, F.A. Abada has signed an extension with the Panthers. Oh, nice. Great. That's news. great news. Uh, it's a yeah. one-year extension signed today. So congratulations to, to F.A. What a story he is and uh, absolutely deserving of that deal. So uh, making his home country proud in the NFL. Let's talk um, Bills, Texans and wrap things up there. Cause it was, I think out of all of them, all four games were really interesting, exciting and had a lot to them, but this is my favorite by a country mark. Country yeah. mark. One of the craziest games. And I see some crazy games. One of the craziest games, particularly the final five or six minutes uh, that, I've, that I can remember. And Josh Allen was so 
compelling to watch. I mean, brilliant, game-changing at times, absolutely raw, rookie, rushing blood to the head, baffling, <laughs> every, and just absolutely captivating. One of the key things I thought, the highs and the lows of his performance, that I thought he put beyond a shadow of a doubt, and we've spoken a bit about it on the pod this season, that everybody says, because he's so good with his legs, because he's such an athlete. Well, Alan is great, but I'm not sure he can throw the ball. He can definitely throw the ball. He is very, very, very capable with his arm. And I think that the hinks in that and the, the up and down performance with his arm will sort itself out with experience. I think that he'll be able to get that side of his game up to a, a, a a level of competence because of consistency as he understands what's going on more and more and more and makes, you know, the right read because he is still incredibly young. And I thought, despite the fact he lost, that was a really, really significant performance for him. Well, I mean, first of all, I totally agree with you in in terms of the fun quota. And there were some really good games. (laughs) I think really probably other than the the Eagles game, the Eagles game felt like a bit of a grind to me, even though it was close. Yeah. Um, these were all sort of fascinating games, but this was the most fun. This was the, just for the absolute ridiculous bizarreness of what kept happening in front of you, like everything from the kickoff return out the end zone, which mm. gets given eventually as a touchback, but should it have been a touchback? Yeah. You know, I didn't, you know, was that just one of those situations where everyone goes, okay, it's just too awkward to actually enforce the real rules here. So, so I was um, in the other room making a cuppa and came back. <laughs> And looked at the scoreboard. I'd missed, I missed it live, right? And it was, you know, within a few seconds, like, what the hell has just happened? What just happened? And I could, it took me a while to work it out. Yeah. I mean, well, I think it took everyone some time <laughs> to work it out. And it was bizarre. And I've seen, um, I've seen a quite coaching case put forward since that actually the correct call would have been a safety because, um, right. the ball is thrown forwards and therefore it's an incomplete pass, but it's also an illegal incomplete pass because you can't do it. And so if that's in the end zone, it should be a safety rather than a touchdown for the Bills. But either way, yeah. it would have been a huge, um, a huge moment in the game if it had been actually enforced, um, could have changed the outcome of the game, certainly. Um, so there's that. You've got Josh Allen playing, as you said, very well for most of the game, but also, in one of the most bizarre moments of, of a playoff game, I can remember making this really smart decision to tuck the ball, run, pick up a first down, and then having already picked up the first down, lobbing it backwards over his head <laughs> for no reason. Just just on the optimistic off chance that um, his teammate, who he might have half seen in a second, might grab it and take it all the way. Such a, an odd, weird, wacky, wonderful game. And Deshaun Watson, of course, um, at the end coming off with one of those Sean Watson only miracles where he gets hit hard on both sides and somehow spins out of it to complete a huge pass instead of getting sort of splatted to the floor like anyone else would. That was extraordinary. I was thinking about that, that if you took all, not just a Sean Watson's elusive plays like that, where he kind of gets out of dodge cartoon style, all of the plays ever in the history of the NFL like that, where, and not just quarterback plays, but running back, spinning away receivers, you know, stop putting the brakes on and, safety's flying right by and put them all in a computer and asked them to come up with the pro the prototypical example of that it would have come up with that Deshaun Watson play I mean it was just poetry in motion and what what a move I mean and we saw god we've seen it all season long but you know we saw that up close and personal at Wembley earlier this season that was a real Watson performance for the ages of the Jags defense were doing nothing wrong in that game. We're getting to him and still just couldn't put him down. And, uh, and he, and he swung the game with a play like that. What do you think is see, Josh Allen, you thought was a lot of fun and, and compelling to watch, but I'm not all the way with you on, on Allen mm. because I still think that arm strength. Yes. Um, you know, raw ability. Uh, I can see it, but, um, to me, he still throws, he doesn't have control over his power. He throws the ball with such velocity, which means that he can complete some incredible passes, but I just, I haven't seen evidence yet that he's got control over that. Maybe that is learnable. Maybe that is something that he, he can, but the, the overthrows sometimes and, and just the, the lack of touch, I think will stop him from being, um, you know, from being an, an elite passer, certainly. Uh, but, yeah, I'm not sure he'd become an elite passer, but I, I think that he threads it through in really 
tight gap sometimes. It's not just, I think, the, the strength. I think it is also the precision at times, but, but point taken that it's erratic for sure. But it's whether he can reconcile that, that part of his game up to a, yeah, as, a, as I said earlier, a competent level, if not an, an elite level. Mm. And if he, if he does, and you put that, particularly if they start to build an offense around him with stronger weapons, because I don't think he has enough weapons around him. And whether he can maintain the level of productivity with his legs as, as you know, defenses work him out more and more is, is, is another question, yeah. I guess. But I think he can, I, I, I do think he, you've touched on something important there, which is worth saying as well um, about weapons, because I think um, a lot of people, myself included, when sort of assessing the Patriots and their letdown this season have highlighted the the lack of weapons available to Tom Brady. And yeah, they're, they're pretty bad, but yeah, look at, look at who um, Josh Allen is throwing to in this game. He's throwing to Singletary, John Brown, fine, yeah. you know, like serviceable journeyman uh, receiver, Cole Beasley. I mean, we're not talking about, we're not talking about great wide receivers yeah. here. And, and he still managed to make things happen in that passing game. I think you could actually go through quite a few of the teams that played in the playoffs this week and look at some of the receivers and go, it's not, it's not elite talent here. So yeah, definitely Josh Allen could, could benefit from having better options there along with a few others. Got to mention JJ Watt as well in that game, finally, because mm. huge, huge play, which again, turn, turn the trajectory because it just got everybody going. And he is that, that type of player, of course, that, leads by example but is such a big part of the franchise the fans were hyped up after the sack and it was interesting because up until that point I was thinking it was maybe not as extreme as when Ronaldo the World Cup final (laughs) was completely completely off color but I thought it was a JJ what is out there for effect he's not able to deliver anything here he's he's clearly really really under par and then stepped up a gear or two and i still don't think he was remotely near 100 percent. maybe that's because he's just had such a prolonged period of time out so he was just just the pace of it was was a little bit away from him but he was big for them in that game and can be of course really significant the the sharper he gets if they stay in yeah absolutely i mean this I don't know. I mean, for, for a player with such ridiculous talent, for a player who was for a few years, just like it was, you might as well have just handed in the defensive MVP before the season even began. For a player who, um, when you think back to really the, the beginning of his career, picking off Andy Dalton and taking it back 29 yards for a, you know, playoff pick six, it feels like we have, we haven't had enough of these moments from him, have we? He hasn't had enough playoff games. He hasn't had enough chances to, to, be decisive in in games that really matter, um, partly because of his own injuries, partly because of the Texans not quite being there. So it's yeah, it's it's fun to see him um, in games like this, having decisive moments like this. You're absolutely right that 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 sack was um, really necessary for a team that still hadn't scored yet at that point and was at risk of getting completely cut adrift. It, mm. it, I don't I don't feel quite comfortable describing it as I've seen some people as like this singular turning point because so much nonsense happens afterwards. Like both <laughs> sure. teams still do so many ridiculous things after that, but sort of just to point at that and say, well, that's where the game changes is probably a bit too simplistic, but it certainly was within the game, a turning point, a moment when the Texans really needed to stop, really needed not to give up another touchdown. Um, and, and as you, as you mentioned, needed to get the fans into it as well. Nikki, let's wrap up with individual and collective performance of the weekend. So I'm going to go for collective. I'm going, I'm going Vikings, uh, Vikings D specifically. I'm going to the Vikings D for uh, performance of the weekend because nobody saw that coming. I don't think, I think even if, if there was anyone out there that called the Vikings for the win and I've been on there, just want to point out there is recorded proof of this. I've been on the Vikings bandwagon this season and I didn't think they were going to win that one. So if there's anyone out there that did, fair play to you. But I don't think, even if you did think the Vikings were going to get the win, I don't think anybody thought that they would smother the Saints offense in that way. So my team award goes to them. What about you? Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one to, 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 to go against, to be honest with you. I think in terms of a collective effort, that was certainly... Um, that was certainly really big. Um, I think the, the pass switch which you touched on, the pass switch which you touched on earlier in the game was, um, 
was really big. Yeah, for a collective effort, I'm not sure. I've got a few individuals in yeah, bouncing around in my mind who I'm trying to, who maybe is obscuring my ability to think of someone else on the collective side of things. But yeah, I think that's, that's a pretty good channel for the collective side. Who are your individuals? You're allowed to, because Mike Carlson in his top five series allowed about 11. <laughs> I mean, Derek Henry's the obvious one, right? Derek Henry right. did something that, again, I don't think we think that running backs can do in this era of high octane offenses. He was a running back who just took a team on his back and ran the ball and ran the ball and ran the ball. And, and that worked. 34 carries, 182 yards, 5.4 average. That was enough, um, to get them past New England. I think, it's hard to separate this, but I also feel like from an individual standpoint, Mike Vrabel. I mean, yeah, it's right. not just the sort of the psych out, although the psych out is beautiful and needs to be remembered. That sort of getting Belichick so wound up over something <laughs> that he's done to people yeah. earlier in, in the season, but it's um, putting your team in position. First of all, having the faith in that running game, sticking with it, um, mm-hmm. putting your team in position to um, succeed, even with the quarterback who's only throwing for 72 yards. Um, again, talk about receiving talent um, that teams do or don't have. I mean, who, who have the Titans got? Anthony Fersker? You know, these aren't mm. Johnny Smith. These aren't um, yeah. receiving talents. So he made the most of, of what was there again. Um, and in contrast, by the way, to Belichick, I think one of the sort of random little um, facts of this weekend that we didn't touch on before that I just want to make sure doesn't get missed. First time in uh, the Patriots' history under Belichick um, that they've failed to score with a first and goal from the one yard line. They've had 12 before wow. they've always scored and this time they didn't. And that's on both sides. That's on, um, it's on Frable and his defense, but it's also on Belichick, who I think was just out coached in this game. Yeah. Um, Great stat. So I think that those two are obvious ones. Um, I kind of want to give both, uh, Watson and even in defeat Allen individual yeah. sort of Look, Claude, it's just for, just for making it so much fun. I mean, again, there were some bad decisions made by both of them, frankly. I mean, Watson made some pretty bad decisions in this game as well, but maybe nothing quite as spectacular as that pitch that, um, Josh Allen made having just made a really smart decision to pick up the, the first down on his, on his own. <laughs> so, oh, brilliant. I mean, the line, yeah. we didn't mention actually the line in the Texas line was up to its old bad habits again as well. Watson's game. Yeah murdered out there yeah definitely all agree with everything you said I'd also- and russell wilson as well by the way was the last yeah. one just because it's understated it's not as obvious as some of the other ones but again as you mentioned already there was no running game and yeah. russell wilson finally didn't put up a bucket load of points but he did everything that he needed to do to get his team a win in a playoff game and I yeah. think that's what he does clinical i mean he was 350 yards before the fourth quarter i think or you know that he was uh yeah carrying it on his shoulders the offense um no doubt about that all of the names that, that you just mentioned individually, I agree with. And some of the names we mentioned earlier on as well, I think honourable mentions, it's not always about the winners. So definitely uh, McCown I'd have there. I'd Taysom Hill as well. Who yes, was, Taysom Hill. Uh, living up to his legend and then some. And it got me thinking, actually, the idea of situational quarterbacks, we've never really seen it compared to, say, pitching in baseball, where... Mm. It is, you know, commonplace, of course, where you'll, you know, lefty against a lefty and, um, you know, pitchers will come in for just for one, uh, one out in that situation. I wonder whether we'll start to see a bit more of that in, in the NFL and whether Taysom was, the, I guess, the closest to that. The, sometimes the, the Ravens do it with RG3, I suppose, but it's not quite the same thing. I wonder whether, whether, and there was talk of Tebow being that, right? When you mm. know, Patriots looked at him, but, uh, Taysom Hill anyway, definitely is on, uh, on that list as well. Uh, and I think we probably named, uh, we're, I'm sure our listeners will. <laughs> There'll be someone. Someone yeah. glaring that we are forgetting. But if you do, at the NC show, that's how you get in touch with us. And uh, indeed, fire your questions in uh, that way as well. And uh, when we do the mailbag with our mic on Wednesdays, we'll uh, get into those. Well, there we go. Uh, wild cards done and dusted. We roll on to the divisional rounds. Have given now that the Saints are out and a lot of people fancy them to go all the way in the NFC. Has your perspective changed on who you think is going to make the Super Bowl? Do you have any of the teams that have got out in the Super Bowl? I mean, I think like everybody, there was some parts of me, whether or not I would have predicted it, some parts of me in the back of my head just expected the Patriots to somehow be there because been to a lot of Super Bowls now, a lot of them with you, <laughs> and they, they're normally there. They're so. normally there. Well, yeah, I was you, to, with, with um, you were, we were all at the... Um, the Atlanta 
comeback Super Bowl a few years ago. And I was chatting on WhatsApp to Phil Spooner, who you, of course, know very well. A lot of our listeners know very well over the years. Phil, the producer, is now at the zone in, um, uh, uh, that's why he's not on air as much as he used to be back in the day. But uh, we were all at that game together and watching that all together. And it was, of course, one of the most extraordinary comebacks, if not the most extraordinary comeback of all time. And we were chatting over the weekend, this obviously before the, the Patriots went out, saying it really wouldn't surprise have any team in the, in the history of sport, despite how underwhelmed we've all been with this Patriots offense and everything else, would not surprise us one shot if they went on and won the Super Bowl again this yeah. year. That's an incredible thing about completely, about completely. But it, other than that, I'm not sure because honestly, like uh, wild card weekend um, upsets happen quite a lot. And even last year, I think there was a lot of excited talk coming out of wild card weekend of, of different teams surprising us, and then you get to divisional round and the home teams just all won. Mm. Um, and I think that definitely in the AFC. I still find it hard to see beyond the Chiefs and Ravens' favourites. doesn't mean they necessarily win, but as favourites, I think that the Texans, even in victory, showed so many um, rough edges mm. that, that I think that becomes a, 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 a tough challenge. And I think that the question of Derek Henry and whether or not he can carry a team on his own when you're playing offences that can actually put up points more than this Patriots team did is is trickier. Right. Um, in the NFC, the one that I think... Um, definitely I'm most interested in still is it, out of the teams. Well, I'm interested in all of them, but the team that I, I sort of could imagine making that run is, is still Seattle. And I think it does still just come back to Wilson for me. Mm. I think the running game having struggled as much as it did against, um, against Philadelphia this weekend goes up against much softer run defense in Green Bay. And I think that, yeah, I could see that working better and I could see Russell Wilson outdoing Aaron Rodgers in a, in a one week scenario for sure as well. So yeah, I think that um, if there's any one team playing a wildcard weekend who I personally would see going a bit further, it's them. Nicky, enjoy the divisional rounds, cracking work. And we will check in with you super soon. I hope, I hope we will. And uh, one Absolutely. more plug, actually, for listeners want to get in touch, uh, uh, follow you on Twitter and uh, read more of your stylings. Uh, where should they head? Just at Nicky Bandini on Twitter. Lovely, jubbly. Look after yourself. You too, now. Always great catching up with Nikki. We will be back Wednesday with Iron Mike for a deep dive. We'll see you then. Bye for now. Sports Social Podcast Network.